Welcome to Game Changers Innovation Podcast. I'm Mark Ranella, Senior Editor for the IXL Center. This podcast is brought to you by the Global Innovation Management Institute, the global standard certification board for innovation and innovation management. Global learning is a process that involves diverse people collaboratively analyzing and addressing these complex problems. Mm-hmm. Complex problems transcend borders of difference. They're so they're so wicked, if you will, mm-hmm. that no single perspective, no single person, no single group can solve it by itself. Mm. Um, we're talking about you know childhood obesity. We're talking about um, immigration issues. We're talking about climate change. Mm-hmm. They're so such long-term dilemmas, so wicked that you need many, many, many stakeholders to attack it simultaneously mm. and in mutually reinforcing ways. Um, that's collaboration. Mm-hmm. That's where the magic of, of global learning is, is released. That was Stephanie Dosher, founding associate director of the Office of Global Learning at Florida International University. Located in South Florida on the western edge of Miami and serving more than 50,000 students. The Office of Global Learning prepares FIU students to be successful global citizens who develop global awareness, a global perspective, and use their passion to make the world a better place. Through the ambitious work of the program and of its students, the Global Learning Program at FIU has demonstrated two very useful lessons for organizations interested in innovation. First is the advantage or the advantages of very deliberately and systematically drawing on the talents of a diverse group of individuals to create teams that can successfully address what seem to be unsolvable problems. The second lesson is the importance of defining the kinds of problems that require these diverse teams and those that don't. In recent years, there have been a lot of efforts to supplement what's been perceived as the lack of real-world experience that's available in the curriculum of many traditional institutions of higher education. And as a result, many organizations have tried to create opportunities for students to work collaboratively on compelling real-world problems. A few months ago, for instance, we interviewed Andres Escobar, whose social enterprise focusing on childhood education emerged from a case competition that required that the members of competing teams come from diverse geographic and educational backgrounds. What's remarkable to me about Dosher's initiative at FIU and her recent book that has emerged from that initiative, it's called Making Global Learning Universal, is that global learning at FIU is attempting to integrate the magic of collaborating across geographic borders and academic disciplines into the fabric of the education programs at FIU. What's more, she's coming up with a framework that can help educators at other institutions to adapt this inspiring vision of global learning to the realities of their institutions, their strengths, their weaknesses, and their resource constraints. FIU's Office of Global Learning programs show the importance of being clear and careful about execution in the realization of an inspiring vision. Dosher's experience at FIU also offers an example of how to 
shepherd and develop a very ambitious innovation through a large institution, something that many innovators working in big companies have to deal with on a daily basis. Finally, FIU's Global Learning Program aims to find a repeatable way to bring together diverse talents and the diverse personalities and backgrounds that come with them to come up with eye-popping solutions to big problems. I began my conversation with Stephanie by exploring how the topic of global learning first became important to her. Stephanie, you've just mm -hmm. printed a book called uh, Making Global Learning Universal. You're a co-author on that. You're going out and being asked to talk about it. And um, I'm really curious about it. Why did you write it and uh, what is it about? Well, I'm so pleased to have an opportunity to talk, to talk with you about this today, uh, Mark. So we wrote this book because um, at our institution, we have an initiative to prepare every single one of our undergraduate students for global citizenship. Now, why would we do that? Why would, why would we care? Um, if we take a step back and take a look at the world today, the conditions of the world today, and we think about the issues and the challenges that beset us um, as Americans and also citizens all over the world, a lot of those challenges that affect our day-to-day -day lives are not so much only local challenges, but they're global challenges as well. In fact, some people conflate those two terms and use the term global because right. these challenges have both local and global implications. So issues like sea level rise in South Florida, sea level rise is impacting places all over the world, climate mm -hmm. change, um, changes in demographics, immigration, these global issues their effects transcend borders and their influences transcend borders. Mm -hmm. So what we really need today are leaders who are thinking collaboratively about how to address those challenges. Leaders who are thinking about how to engage other nations, other states, other communities to address these and especially to meet the needs of their own local citizens. Mm -hmm. So this global mindset, if you will. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to prepare those leaders and elect those leaders, then we also need to prepare citizens to elect those leaders. Mm -hmm. So that's our focus at Florida International University. What does a 21st century education need to look like in terms of civic education? And for us, it needs to look like preparation for global citizenship. Um, whether you are acting as a citizen, as a professional, or as a leader in your community or in a broader stage. Right. Right. So, so that's uh, a little bit about why we wrote okay. the book. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What, so, so and then what is it about? Right. Right. So what it's about is how to do that. <laughs> it, <laughs> um, it emerged from primarily our experience and our leadership, our um, research in the field over the past 10 years, developing our university-wide initiative, um, but also our experience working with other institutions across the country and around the world, the, uh, the challenges that they're grappling with 
in providing this kind of education for every single one of their students, how to bake this into the program of study for every undergraduate student, if you will. Right. So we took this very seriously, um, that it couldn't just be a description of what is global learning, what does it look like at our particular institution, yeah. but it needed to be a handbook of sorts defining essential terms like global learning, global citizenship, um, essential components of those two dynamics, uh, diversity, what is collaboration, what do we mean by global problem solving, and then taking a soup to nuts look, if you will, at how you lead a transformative organizational and curricular change initiative what kind of organizational change framework might you need. Um, right. We use collective impact, if you, for instance. Um, what are the kinds of human, financial, technological, time-based resources that you might need? Um, and then going into how you assess student learning, evaluate your program, and then how do you maintain continuous communication and improvement so that you can really keep your initiative going over the long term. So I'm curious then, why did this topic become important to you? And uh, maybe you can also relate it to your own professional development. And you know, when did this come out on the horizon and then why did you decide to pursue it? Early on when we began um, developing the initiative in, in 2010, that's when we well, we began developing it in 2008, and we launched it in 2010. Mm -hmm. We, meaning my, my colleague Hillary Landorf and I especially, spent a lot of time attending conferences in our field uh, where people were grappling with these issues of internationalizing the curriculum, mm -hmm. uh, providing a global learning experience to students, especially if they didn't have an opportunity to go abroad. Mm -hmm. And we did this primarily to understand the field, to understand best practices that we could bring home, mm -hmm. and also to um, engage in dialogue with our peers who are struggling with the same kinds of issues mm -hmm. and um, tell our story, share our story a little bit and get feedback um, in terms of its efficacy. Right. And it wasn't too long before people started sitting up and taking notice and asking um, basic questions like, how did you get buy-in at such a large institution? We are one of the top 10 largest public urban research institutions in the country. We are a research one institution, but we're very young. We're only about 35 years old. Mm -hmm. And we have 54,000 students, <laughs> 38,000 of whom, yeah, are, are undergraduates. And our initiative impacts every single one of those undergraduates. So whether institutions were very small liberal arts colleges in the Midwest and very homogenous, or there were very large public uh, institutions throughout the country, people were just perplexed at the very basic concept of how did you get buy-in? Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, people started asking about that. Mm -hmm. Then as the initiative started to uh, blossom, 
in ways beyond our initial our initial plan. People started to ask, well, how did you get buy-in for those additional programs? How did you provide professional development to all of your faculty? How do you get students to go beyond the minimum that's required to them? There uh -huh. were so many questions. And after a while, people started asking, when's the book coming out? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Which is a wonderful question to ask. Right. But we could not stop working to write the book. Uh, there was just too much constantly evolving and too much need for our leadership at home. Mm -hmm. So when our publisher uh, requested that we go ahead and get started working on the book, we did so knowing that we weren't going to be able to take significant time off of work. And so it's, it's, it took a little bit more time right. than we would have hoped to, to meet people's needs. <laughs> right. People were very, very impatient uh, for the book. But in taking that time, we were even able to add um, new things that we wouldn't have anticipated adding when we began the book in 2015. Okay, great. So you've answered how you got started in global learning, but I'm wondering where did you get the concept or where did you get the inspiration to start with this initiative and focus on global learning as an important educational outcome at FIU. This is one of my favorite stories to tell. So we are called Florida International University, which is a very interesting name because when people think about us, when they first become familiar with us, the first thing they think is that we must be composed primarily of international students. But our student body really is not composed of any more truly international students, meaning students who are here on an international visa of some kind, mm -hmm. than any other university in the United States. However, we are located in a global crossroads. Miami is the city with the highest per capita percentage of foreign-born residents. And when the university was founded in 1972, our founding president, Charles Perry, was particularly prescient in foreseeing the needs of South Florida in terms of higher education. At that time, if you wanted to go to college and you lived in Miami-Dade County or Broward County, you had one option for a four-year bachelor's degree or for a master's degree and beyond, and that was the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. The other option that you had was a community college, Miami-Dade College, which is now one of the, if not the largest uh, higher education institution in the United States, but it was pretty new at that, at that time, only about 12 years old. Mm -hmm. So, if you grew up in Miami, you needed to go away to school. But Charles Perry saw the massive demographic changes that were happening in South Florida. And he believed that South Florida needed a new university for new Americans. So that means that it would be an institution that would be committed to straddling the local and the global. Yes, 
he saw that a lot of influx from Latin America and the Caribbean was happening, but he saw that even beyond that South Florida had connections that were European with Africa, with, with Australia, I mean, really the entire planet. Um, it's a crossroads because of trade, because of the arts. He saw it coming. Mm-hmm. And so we also believed that our institution needed to be very flexible. It needed to meet the needs of our particular student body, which is majority first-generation students mm-hmm. who are working 20 hours or more to get through school and also to support their families. So he hired at the beginning a faculty who wanted to engage students in kind of active learning strategies, um, lots more dialogue perhaps than would be traditionally expected, um, more international perspectives in the classroom than would be traditionally expected. And so at that time, Florida International University, at the beginning, the idea was every single student would also have some kind of international experience. But that just proved to be impossible, given the demographics. It was a great dream and a great goal. It just wasn't possible for our student body. In 2008, there was a desire to reinvigorate the I in FIU. Mm -hmm. And that's where, that's when I was brought in with my colleague, Hillary Landorf, Mm -hmm. to lead an initiative to figure out what that would look like. And that took about a year and a half we took a look at the minutes of a committee that had predated our coming to the university. This was a committee that was broadly representative of the college and schools, of student affairs, of administrative affairs. There were also student leaders on this committee and they were dialoguing what were some of the options, taking a look at what other universities were doing. When we took a look at those minutes, of those meetings, mm-hmm. we noticed two main dynamics. One, the term international wasn't being used very often, mm-hmm. but the term global was being used a lot. So that was one thing that we noticed. Another thing we noticed was that there was a lot of discussion about citizenship, mm-hmm. about students' dual identities, about students affiliation with perhaps the land in which they were born or their parents were born, Mm -hmm. but also being citizens or green carded um, residents of South Florida, or even Mm -hmm. in some case, dreamers in South Florida. Right. So these seem to be very important to these, this committee, and they authorized Uh, Hillary and I, to engage in a very broad-based discussion with literally thousands of our students, faculty, staff, community members, business leaders, alumni. Um, And we asked two main questions. First, we asked, which term for you better describes Florida International University, the term international which primarily means between and among nations, Mm -hmm. or the term global. And overwhelmingly, our constituency said 
we're a global institution. We have a global reach. We, we grapple with issues that transcend national borders, cultural borders. Right. It was about global for them. And then we asked the second question, what should a graduate of Florida International University know and be able to do? And overwhelmingly, our faculty, students, all of our constituencies said, when we think about FIU, we think that diversity is our most salient characteristic. We have such a diverse student population, so many diverse programs. Right. But it was our students that really broke open what we call our internationalization gap, which is that our diversity wasn't being brought to bear on the classroom learning experience. Our oh, diversity. So we, wait, this is the big opportunity. This, for is the, this is the big aha for your innovation, right? Exactly. This okay. was the this was uh, the big bang. Okay. <laughs> all right, right, all right. I just want people to know that this is super important. So great. Like, let's get let's get super let's get important. That, let's get into that topic then. Go ahead. Exactly. So um, it's one thing to be in a classroom in the presence of people who are different than you. And people who are different than you don't necessarily look different than you, right? So mm -hmm. you could have a, a classroom full of students that are relatively homogenous in terms of their race, ethnicity, gender, but have vast differences in terms of their preferences, their opinions, religious differences, values differences, um, gender orientation or sexual orientation, all kinds of differences of cognition, uh, the way we process information. Um, diversity is pre present all around us all the time. Yeah. And our students said, we want to gain from this. Mm. We want more than just to interact with the perspective of our faculty member, mm. who may or may not be from another country. Um, we want more than to simply grapple with the content in our book, which may only be written from a single perspective. Mm -hmm. We're sitting here in this soup of different perspectives on these ideas, these concepts, these problems. And we, we wanna learn from the other people and right. with the other people in the classroom. You know, that's so interesting because you're just coming at a different angle to the same question of thinking styles that a lot of innovation people look, look at or think about, you know, because they realize mm -hmm. in certain moments in the making of a business or the cultivation of an idea, different kinds of thinking styles work better at certain stages. So they like to identify either who among us is the, you know, the problem solver, who among us is the big sky thinker, you know, things like that, and bring them, you know, know what their differences are and bring them in at appropriate moments. So it's really interesting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that uh, looking at understanding that these different styles of thinking are important differences and they need to be used together often. So it's, a, it's just really interesting how you're coming at it through your student body. You came to that same realization. 
Mm-hmm. I think that's a great segue for me to give the big reveal at this point, which is how do we define global learning at FIU? And mm-hmm. this, and of course, this definition we we offer to the world um, mm-hmm. to make it their own as well. So the definition is based on our institutional experience, what we know leads to transformation and the product and the production of new knowledge in our students. Mm-hmm. It's based on our research um, into the, what exactly what you were just talking about, innovation, mm-hmm. um, change, and mm-hmm. it's based on um, what our the preferences of our faculty and our students and of the preferences of faculty and students in the institutions with which we work, we've been working with over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So we define it specifically as a process. Global learning is a process that involves diverse people collaboratively analyzing and addressing complex problems that transcend borders. Mm. So global learning isn't about learning what, but learning with. And it is not about the reiteration of existing knowledge of the world and the way it works. It's about the production of new knowledge about the world and the way it works. Mm -hmm. And that process, okay, it involves for us three very specific and important components. The power of global learning is released when you make use of and you capitalize upon the diversity Mm -hmm. within your classroom, or you go out and seek diverse perspectives to bring to bear on the topic that you're grappling with or that you're seeking to understand and address. You you mean to say, like, Mm -hmm. you might realize, oh, I don't have enough viewpoints i'm going to look for people who think differently than i do right right who needs to be at the table who Mm -hmm. needs to be at the table here who's 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 missing because if this problem which is complex and i'll i'll take a a stab at that in just a minute Uh if this complex problem if it impacts people differentially across different socioeconomic groups, cultural groups, gender-based groups, um, abilities, you name it. If it impacts people differently, then in order for us to truly understand the nature of that problem and to develop solutions that are equitable and sustainable, Uh we have to have those perspectives brought to the table somehow. So it's kind of a big tent uh, way of, of, of thinking about education. So, so, so number one, diversity. Number two, collaboration. Now, that's, that's actually, there's more to collaboration than meets the eye. Um, sometimes we think about collaboration as communication. Right. We think, wow, if I'm exchanging information with another person about what I do and what they do, we're collaborating. Uh-huh. Well, that's part of collaboration, but it's not the whole thing. Sometimes when we coordinate activities with other people and other organizations, I'll schedule my event, 
um, to be right after or before yours or at the same time, or we will coordinate our resources and, and bring them to bear on, on a single activity, uh, co-sponsor something. We think coordination is collaboration. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a component of it, but it's not the whole thing. <laughs> right, right. And then, then there's cooperation, which is divide and conquer. You take this piece, I take this piece, you take this piece, and many hands will make light work. Mm-hmm. That's not quite collaboration either. Right. Now, that's not to say that communication, coordination, and um, dividing and conquering, that they're not part of collaboration, but the essence of true collaboration, and this is where global learning lies, mm-hmm. is in complete interdependence. Mm. So the idea that we are engaged in a common goal that we could not reach, we could not achieve it unless both of us or all of the partners are at the table. Mm. It's simply not possible for us to do this unless all of us are at the table. Right. So when that's the case, that's when the power of global learning and innovation is released because you have this dynamic that Scott Page calls super additivity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and this is really where the inventors and the innovators say, oh, I can get into this global learning stuff. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> because this is where the scientists come in. They say, all right, now you got me. Uh, the social scientists and artists, they're like, oh, we love different cultures and we love the diversity, but the scientists <laughs> really love this collaboration piece and, and super additivity. Mm-hmm. So that's the idea that when one of us comes to the table, we bring an idea, an interpretation of a concept. Right. And then somebody else who has a different perspective a different problem-solving heuristic, a different uh, values set, a different set of preferences. They'll say, hmm, have you ever looked at the problem this way? Mm -hmm. And then with collaboration, where there's social negotiation, Mm -hmm. there's the opportunity to combine those two perspectives into a whole new perspective. Mm -hmm. So basically one plus one equals three. Right. And this is how global learning, this, this process, can lead to new knowledge about mm-hmm. the world. And mm-hmm. global learning really isn't terrific for simple problems mm-hmm. or just complicated problems. That's the last part of our, our definition, that global learning is a process that involves diverse people collaboratively analyzing and addressing these complex problems. Mm-hmm. Complex problems transcend borders of difference. They're so, they're so wicked, if you will, mm-hmm. that no single perspective, no single person, no single group can solve it by itself. Mm. Um, we're talking about you know, childhood obesity. We're talking about um, immigration issues. We're talking about climate change. Mm-hmm. They're so – such – long-term dilemmas so wicked that you need many, many, many stakeholders to attack it simultaneously 
mm. and in mutually reinforcing ways. Um, that's collaboration. Mm -hmm. That's where the magic of, of global learning is, is released. Oh, so see, that's great. I like the fact that you qualify this as not a, you know, the, the solution to everything, you know, right? <laughs> and no. some, some things this isn't, this would be overkill for, you know, or it, mm -hmm. wouldn't, it wouldn't be appropriate. Um, exactly. Right, right. And, uh, but the cross-fertilization seems to be a, a key thing, but you have to have mm -hmm. the right, but you have to have the right cross-fertilization, right? You just, it's not just, here's a random bunch of different kinds of thinkers. No, here's a problem that has these seven facets. We need at least seven points of view to help us figure this out, right? Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, yeah. And, and really it's about the process. Mm -hmm. So one of the components of our initiative, it's a, one of the chapters in the book, and, and really it's, we couldn't have done what we've done in our institution, and, and, and I'll be happy to describe a little bit more about what it looks like for right. students and faculty and staff in a minute, but we could not have done what we've done without significant and ongoing professional development. So I understand that most students have to take two classes in global learning at FIU, but what about for those students who really want to concentrate more on this program and maybe get more out of it? than just a couple courses. What do they do? What's offered for them? Many of our students are going to say, I want more than the minimum. Uh, I want to go for a medallion, a global learning medallion, or mm -hmm. a Peace Corps prep certificate. And mm -hmm. these are graduation honors where our students take uh, four or more global learning courses. Um, they engage in a variety of co-curricular acti activities, including leadership activities. Right. And then they do a capstone experience, which is a choice of a study, a long-term study abroad, internship, research, or additional language study. And then they put it all together in a portfolio, mm -hmm. an e-portfolio that includes a reflection on the experiences that they've had and the direction that they want to take their, their future in. And actually, anybody can see our students' e-portfolios. Right. You are welcome to visit our website, oh. goglobal.fiu.edu, uh -huh. <laughs> and you can be directed to the Global Learning Medallion page. Mm -hmm. And at the top of that page, you can click to see the e-portfolios of a vast variety of our graduates. And I just tell people all the time, if you're losing faith in humanity, if you're feeling like you need some inspiration, just pick a random e-portfolio okay. and your mind will be blown. Oh, really? What, um, and your hope will be achieve. right? Okay. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's, that's it's very great. exciting. That's the <laughs> that's the lovely part of youth to deal with. And yeah. if you you can shape them not only to be visionaries but doers at the same time. Yeah. Wow. That's equipping some some great people to help us in the future. Right. Yes, our students are making change while they're in university. Mm. I mean, we've for for decades upon decades, we've said, 
that higher education is supposed to prepare students to make the world a better place and to make change when they graduate. But if that worked, the world would probably look a lot different Mm -hmm. than it does now. So our institution, in addition to saying that we think that every student, no matter what walk of life they come from, should have global learning as a part of their education, not an elective that just some students decide to to go for, but every student needs this. In addition, we've said we really want to encourage and promote our students making change in their communities now, while they're students, in the workplace, in the home, in their house of worship, on campus. Mm -hmm. We are actively encouraging our students to do it now instead of waiting until after they graduate. Stephanie's book, Making Global Learning Universal, is the fruit of 10 years of work, perhaps even more. And I think Stephanie's story, detailed story about not only the origins of this idea of global learning, but especially how it got realized at FIU is incredibly important. In Stephanie's institution, just like many large organizations, there are stakeholders everywhere. And there are stakeholders with competing visions or competing definitions of important concepts that people need to grapple with to realize an innovation. And it seems that the success of this very ambitious program was helped out quite a bit from the beginning by Stephanie's outreach to so many stakeholders, so many players, so many participants at FIU. And not only did she get great information and great insights, but I'm sure she also got great amount of goodwill from participants who saw that she was listening, saw that she was thinking about what they needed, and saw the changes in the program as a result of that very active listening. And leaders listen well, and Stephanie obviously is a great listener. And that capacity to listen and to translate those lessons from listening is a critical part of any ambitious innovation project. Our next podcast will feature the CEO of Ideascale, Rob Holm. Ideascale is a software company that helps organizations leverage the power of crowdsourcing. Until then, this is Mark Brunella, Senior Editor at IXL Center, wishing you all the best. Take care.